Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that is definitely still in the Harry Kane sweepstakes. Uh, of course, it's it's a little off-season fun, time to do some stargazing, and we're, we're going to do a special draft edition tonight. We've we've pulled in Derek, the site's resident guru, and of course me, the site's resident idiot, and we're going to go through the, the stars' choices and selections and, and see what we're looking at in terms of the uh, the bright future down here, in, uh, down here in Big D. So Derek, first off, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Um, as we were talking about a little bit off the air before we got started here, it was uh, a crazy few months for me in the lead up to the draft. Very, very busy. A lot of work going on. Uh, I was doing some radio work this this year. I was on uh, Sportsnet 960 here in Calgary for both days of the draft on draft weekend. So the last uh, two weeks have been really nice because there's been very little hockey stuff. As much as I love it, it has been nice to take uh, a much needed, much needed break away from away from it. Yeah, it's funny. I try and explain that to my daughters sometimes. If you eat ice cream for every meal, then eating ice cream is no longer this amazing kind of break from the norm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's been funny over the last like couple of days here, and you know, getting in preparation for today's podcast i've started to feel that itch again you know that itch is going to be stronger (laughs) especially come the fall because i'll be actually going back to rinks again and you know scouting in person so i think all the time off now will definitely uh amp up my excitement for for the fall when hockey starts uh being played again so how do you just we'll start there because I'm I'm personally fascinated and so you know for those listening that aren't then haha uh, I'm in charge what what does your preparation look like how do you make sure that you're you know do you do you go into certain games with with certain things you're looking for kind of how does that work well it really does vary from situation to situation um, most of the time like before I go to a game I have an idea of what I'm looking for. So I'll usually go online, um, you know, look up the players on a team, find out the guys that are draft eligible this year or, or the year after, do just a little bit of background reading on them. You'll see their stats, see where they're coming from. Is this guy, you know, he might be playing in for a Canadian team, but he's an import player from Finland, or maybe this guy was like a first round pick in the WHL Bantam draft. So I do a little bit of research to get a, at least some idea of what to look for. But once I get to a game, at least in person, um, I always try to keep a wide perspective because there have been many, many times where I go to see one player and he just yeah, either has an off night or he's not as good as I was expecting. And there's someone who I don't know anything about that really blows me away. So a lot of the time you, you want to try and watch everything get a good feel for the full context of the game, you know, understand like what's happening in a shift before a guy steps on the ice. Uh, But there are also a lot of other times where it's a little bit more specific Um, on the video side of things, which I did a lot of this past year, you know, there were a lot of games where if there's one guy I really wanted to watch, I would only watch his shifts, maybe watch two or three or four games in a day of just the one player shift after shift after shift, just to get a really strong, understanding for his strengths his weaknesses watch a lot of the little things you know make sure that my my perspective is is broad in the sense that i 
I'm not just catching a guy on maybe his best game of the season or his worst game of the season. I'm getting a bigger sample size to give me a better idea of what I'm looking for. I love it. Now, now, what is in in just one more one more curiosity question? Do any moments stand out, or do any players stand out where it could be that a guy was was exactly you know the opposite of what you thought he was, or was exactly what you thought he was, but to the nth degree, right? But what are what are some times or, or some things that stand out in your in your memory as as you go through some some scouting you've done? Mm, so this this is fun fun story I have from I think it was the twenty nineteen draft. Uh, let's quickly pull it up on my computer. Uh, yeah, the 2019 draft. And I went to go see a game here in Calgary where Kirby Dock was playing for the Saskatoon Blades. And it, uh, and I've told this story to other people before, and I mentioned it on Twitter. But that game that I saw out of Dock was the single best game that I scouted that season of any player. He, that he was better than any of the games I'd seen out of Jack Hughes, any of the games I've seen out of Capo Caco, the two guys who went ahead of Doc, and better than Boehm Byram and Moritz Sider and Trevor Zegris. Like, he was absolutely phenomenal in this game. And I was thinking to myself, this guy has a real shot to go first overall. And he, Doc had a really, really weird season. He was really up and down. He went through this awful, awful stretch in the middle of the season where nothing was clicking for him. He wasn't putting up any points. Like, he was really struggling. And I had a lot of other scouts that were, were seeing him for the first time in one of those games. And they're like, what's going on with this guy? He looks terrible. And I have to tell them, no, 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 trust me. Like, <laughs> this guy, when he's on, there's, there's something really special to him. There's something really special to what this guy can bring. So when the draft came around that year, he he had lost a lot of the luster on his on his draft season. Um, a lot of outlets had him lower than than where he got picked at third overall. I remember some people like almost snickering a little bit when Chicago took him third overall. It's like, oh my god, what are the Hawks doing? Like that's such a reach. Like I can't believe it. But I just kept thinking back to that one game that I'd seen where he was like every shift, every puck that came to him just phenomenal like he was always making the right play the poor Calgary hitman they just they couldn't defend in that game they had no answer for him and it was funny watching him you know make the NHL in his rookie season or right right out of the draft year and look really good on the Blackhawks and in this past year he played some more games with them after coming back from injury and he looked really good again so it's it's really it's it's funny sometimes it's the, you see a certain game and it can really tell a lot about a player, even if a lot of other games, you know, aren't quite there. So that kind of ties into what I was talking about earlier about getting a bigger sample just to kind of see, to make sure you're not missing anything, to get a really good idea for what the player can be. Obviously, you want to see consistency. It was, it was, I was concerned too that he went through these stretches where he wasn't great, but it, that that one game that I saw will always stand out to me as as an example of why you really need to get lots of of views on, on player that you're really curious about. And then just as a general philosophy, do you tend to, you talked about the importance of consistency and then you're also talking about how kind of one superfluous performance stood out in your mind. How do you balance those two against each other, right? Like how much inconsistency can you tolerate before it does wash off that kind of one dominant uh, Kirby doc performance that you're talking about? Um, I can, I can tolerate a lot of inconsistency as long as the player at his best is really good. I mean, if the best game you see out of a player is him just being pretty good or okay, 
and then the rest of the games are bad, well, you know, you got to apply the law of averages and think that there's something going on there and the player might not be as good as you want to see. But it is important to remember that, you know, it's not easy to be a young hockey prospect. I mean, some guys like your Sidney Crosby's of the world, these these kids, you know, they're, they got ice in their veins. They're trained from stupidly young ages to be around the game and to talk to the media and understand that pressure. But for most guys, you know, it's not easy. You know, a lot of guys come into their draft year, at maybe after a good 16-year-old season where there's less pressure. Suddenly, you know, scouts want to talk to you every game. Guys are writing articles about you. They're watching you with, you know, laser vision. Like, that's a lot of pressure. And not everyone can handle it well. So I, I, I do have a lot of leeway for, for these kids who are, you know, sometimes you can see that they're feeling the pressure and that they're gripping the stick a little bit too tightly. And it really does come down to doing as much research as you can. You know, maybe you see a guy in, on, in a road game and, you know, it's a hostile environment and the crowd's booing him and he plays poorly. And then you watch a video of him on home ice where he's got a little bit more comfort and he plays a lot better. So you, you want to get a, a broad perspective of, of what you're looking at with a player. And obviously, if you can talk to the player in person, get a feel for their personality, you know, pick their brain a little bit, see how they respond to questions, that also plays a nice part. But yeah, it's it's hard to be young and inconsistent right i mean we all remember being teenagers i I don't think i was ever consistent at anything i did in in my (laughs) teenage years so you want to look at a guy who's got tools and hope that the consistency will come over time with someone like doc you know he's huge he's got amazing hands he's a really fluid skater for his size he thinks the game really well like there are always a bunch of really high-end tools on display and i think chicago made a really smart bet you know gambling on on him and his tools and thinking that the consistency was going to come over time and it looks like it's already starting to pay off for them he he had a pretty consistent rookie season yeah and and then we'll we'll stick with one more general question before we start narrowing things down specifically onto the Dallas Stars just has there ever been a player that you know has panned out that that you just never saw it and, and maybe even still don't see like what's does anybody stand out as one that just sort of gobsmacked you in in being success, successful Ooh, that's a good question. I'm trying I'll have to rack my brain a little bit for this one. Um, as a super recent example, and it's a little bit too early to to say that you know he's a successor or he's not. There's a guy named Carter Savoy who put up a stupid number of points um, in the 2019-20 season. He was like a goal per game player in the AJHL. Just ridiculous numbers, like every game, like two points, three points. Like he was pretty much unstoppable, but I just didn't like the way he played. He didn't play with a lot of pace. He let other players drive play for him. He would finish the play, but he wasn't putting in a lot of work. And, you know, I, I was not very high on the guy. I, I thought he was going to go outside of the top 100, whereas some people saw him as high as like a second rounder or a third rounder. He wound up going exactly 100th overall to Edmonton. So I was sort of close. <laughs> uh, but I, I was really not expecting him to have uh, have a very successful rookie season in the NCAA with, uh, with the University of Denver. And he proved me wrong. He was actually really good in his first year at the, at the University of Denver. Uh, he scored like 20 points, I think, in 20-some games. So I was really, uh, really pleasantly surprised by what he could do. You know, proved me wrong, and that happens sometimes. 
Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else I can think of that's a really good example of someone that I wasn't really high on. Uh, I'm trying to think. I would have to go back into previous drafts and see. Gonna, I've got my laptop open here. I'm just going to quickly look to see if there's someone that has really surprised me. Um, nobody's really popping off off the top of my head here, unfortunately. I wish I had a better example to to come at you with, but um, I don't really have one at the moment, unfortunately. It just it just means you're thorough and your analysis is sound, is how I'm interpreting. It. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right on every player. How could you know? I don't have any examples of me no. being wrong. No Actually, no, you're someone. There. Someone uh, Eli Tolvin is someone who who has come al- along nicely uh, in the last little bit here. You know, he was a guy that I liked in his draft year. And after the draft, I watched him a little bit more and a little bit more. And he was putting up great numbers in, in his draft year, plus one in the KHL for Jokerit. And I just, I didn't really like the way he played the game in, for similar ways to Savoy. He just wasn't driving play a lot. He wasn't very quick. He was, you know, he wasn't really driving the bus, as is a phrase I like to use. And, you know, he had some, a couple rougher years, you know, trying to crack the NHL, trying to find some success in the AHL, but he did have a pretty good year um, this past season with Nashville. He, you know, he, he was in the lineup consistently getting good minutes, putting up some points emerged into one of their, you know, better uh, offensive forwards. So, I mean, I don't, I wasn't rooting against Tolvanen. Like I'm, I'm happy to see him succeed. You know, the guy can shoot a puck like nobody's business and he, he thinks the game pretty well. But uh, he was someone that I was really, I was a little bit more skeptical on than others. I wasn't sure if he was ever going to, you know, kind of find the way to play in the NHL. But he's he made some nice strides this year, and I'm happy for him. That's fantastic. I'm glad he's uh, he's making progress. And, and it's always interesting to hear about that as somebody that, you know, confession, I, I don't tend to track um, prospects probably as heavy as I need to. It's, it's not something I'm... I'm paying as much attention to. So whenever I get to speak with someone that is super knowledgeable, I always, I always kind of, I hockey geek out, um, geek out a little bit. And then as promised, we want to, we want to start, start pushing things towards um, conversation about the Dallas stars. And of course their 2021 draft. And and we'll even cover a couple of of recent draft years as well. We're going to talk about some really sticking with the prospects today. And and the first thing I kind of want to cover is in your, in your perspective, right? How different did COVID make this year's draft? Uh, it was a lot, right? There's there's a certain nuance to scouting players in person that just doesn't fully translate in video. You know, you get a feel for the environment. You see what's happening on the bench between shifts. You know, you can see the whole ice instead of just whatever focus the camera angle is on. You know, sometimes they, they're only showing the offensive zone and you can't see the other two. And in some cases... Uh, for a lot of these leagues, um, the video quality is terrible. It can be hard to even make out the numbers on a player's jersey. So there are definitely huge perks to watching games in person. And uh, one of the big ones, too, is actually getting to talk to the players. You know, you can go after the game, ask the team if they can spare five minutes to talk to the guy. You know, whether the guy had the best game of his season or a terrible night, you can learn a lot from the way a player responds and, and answers questions. As one example of that, I, I watched this one guy named Trey Fix Wolanski a couple years ago, and he was playing on a really bad Edmonton Oil Kings team, and they got just blown out of the water at the game I went to here in Calgary. And I talked to him after the game, and he was just so professional, 
so upbeat. He was unfazed by the bad game. You know, he just had a great outlook, great personality. And it just really opened my eyes to the type of player this kid was and, you know, what, what he could bring to the table. And I wasn't surprised, you know, later on that season when he got drafted by Columbus, despite the fact that he had been passed over the year before and that he's only like five foot seven or five foot eight and not a great skater. You know, there are these things holding him back. But I know for a, for a fact that, you know, Columbus would have talked to this kid at some point or at least one of their scouts did, got a good feel for his personality, realized that this is a guy who thinks the game at a high level and can handle the pressure and will develop well. So there, there's certainly a lot that was missed to not being able to scout in person. But at, at the same time, it's not like it was night and day. You know, you, the things you see in video are similar, similar things that you look for in person. You know, how the player skates, how they handle the puck, how they read the situation. You know, if, if a guy is constantly shoulder checking in the defensive zone to keep track of, you know, where the opposing uh, players are on the ice, what what's happening in the play. You know, you can see that in person and you can see that on video. So it's not like there was like a huge, huge change, but there were definitely some things that were different. And And then kind of continuing to build do you feel like those differences how in in looking at dallas's picks this year and and in light of what you kind of just walked through how heavily do you think their strategy was impacted by by covid because for me looking at you know they they really focused on on the kids that were able to come down to texas and play in the tournament right they picked people that had been in you know the canadian program so it, it seemed like it seemed like pedigree really mattered this year uh, talent obviously as well but but it seemed like they they kind of pulled in some some other data points is it, do you think it's uh, again back to the how how much do you think their approach was impacted you know honestly it's hard to say and and maybe not even as much um as you might think because you look at some of the guys that they picked like Wyatt Johnston he didn't play at all this year aside from the U18 tournament uh Artem Grishnikov they only, I don't think he played at all this year, although there was some, uh, <laughs> there was a comment made on the Stars website by uh, Joe McDonnell when he was being interviewed about it, that he might have uh, played some games in like Belarus under a different name just to get some ice time this season, which I thought was kind of strange. So I hadn't heard that. But, <laughs> I love and the some, intrigue of that. That's fantastic. Yeah, curious, but I, what do you do, right? Uh, they had another guy, Jacob Holmes, they grabbed in the fifth round. He didn't play at all this year. But, but something that the Stars were saying about a lot of these picks was that they'd already seen these guys the year before. Like someone like Wyatt Johnston was having a really good rookie year in the OHL uh, where, you know, where Joe McDonnell is based out of. Uh, so the Stars have seen they, – they've seen him a lot. They, they watched him in person. They saw what he could do. Uh, on a team that didn't score a lot of points, but he kind of emerged for a stretch there as one of their better offensive players. So even though a lot of these guys didn't play at all this year or didn't play very much, the Stars still had good books on them coming into the season based off what they'd seen last year and possibly even the year before in some cases. So I think they still relied a lot on the way they generally do things. I mean, I, I, maybe that the performance of Johnston... Um, you know, won him some brownie points at the U18 tournament where he actually was pretty good as Canada's third line center. He had a really good tournament, I thought, especially for a guy that didn't play at all uh, leading into it. He came in rusty and he, you know, he looked like he'd been playing, like he looked really right at home and right, 
and very comfortable. So I, I do think that most of what we saw was already there. And maybe you saw a guy at the tournament who performed up to expectations, like someone like Logan Stankoven, for example. I think everyone kind of, everyone who knew Stankoven and had watched him coming into the tournament, I don't think anyone was surprised by what he did there, where he was really, really good. He was one of Canada's top offensive players, a dangerous shooter. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to say, because, I mean, I'm not in the brains of the Stars scouting staff. Um, but just from the comments that have been made and just knowing how this industry kind of works, I think a lot of their opinions on these players was already there before um, before this season happened. And I think they relied on a lot of the work that they had already done previously. And then just in your opinion, is that do you feel like that's a good approach? Uh, you know, it's it's going to be really <laughs> interesting to see where it goes. Right. Because so you look at Wyatt Johnson as an example here. And, yeah, let, let's start uh, there. Yeah, looking looking at Wyatt Johnson and, and your take on him as the uh, 23rd overall pick. Well, the, I think it's fair to say that the pick was a little bit off the board when it comes to the independent scouting community. Like I've I've got his page pulled up here on Elite Prospects, and you know, this Dallas picked him a lot higher than he was rated. Uh, our team over at FC Hockey had him 50th. Uh, on uh, McKean's, they had him 55. Uh, NHL Central Scouting, he was 16th among North American skaters, so that was a little bit more in line. But I also did talk to some individual scouts who genuinely viewed him as a first-round talent. But what I was saying about these guys who haven't played it all this year, there's a certain wildcard element to it, right? Like, you know, maybe some scouts are like, oh, you know, Johnson, he, has, he was good at the U18 tournament. He was a good as a 16-year-old. Maybe we're, we like him, but we're a little bit hesitant about him because that was kind of my impression as well. Um, but, you know, maybe if he had played the whole season, maybe everyone would be considering this guy a first-rounder, right? Because it's, it's hard to know how much progress he made because some guys make huge jumps from their 16-year-old season to their 17-year-old season. And Johnston, before things shut down in the OHL, was certainly trending really highly uh, in, in the right direction. You know, He was on a really nice upward trajectory. He went through a really big stretch where he was one of the best players on his Windsor Spitfires team and was contributing a lot offensively. So, it, it there's yeah, there's a certain wildcard element to some of these players who haven't played at all. Because maybe the Stars, you know, in the best-case scenario... You know, they watched this guy closely enough before he didn't get to play this season. And they kind of have that inside track that they know this guy is talented. And he's more talented than people realize because he hasn't played. It's almost like a, like a secret that, that they know how good this guy is and they believe in how good he is. And they know that he's going to really explode once he actually gets a chance to play again. But, you know, it, it could go the other way, too, where you never want to see a player miss a full season of development. Like, that's, you know, that's a lot of hockey that he didn't get to play, where guys in other leagues, uh, including, you know, the Quebec League and the USHL down in the States, you know, guys were playing, you know. And you often do your most development being on the ice in game action. So, you know, maybe the, the year off will set some of these guys back. But it's it's really too hard to say. There is just a little bit too too much uncertainty to project someone like Johnston, where it's like, yeah, he played seven games this year on in a role that you know he might not be best suited for. Like he's a good defensive player, and I thought he looked really good in in that bottom six role for Canada at this tournament. But I think he's a guy that is his real value is on the offensive side of the puck, which I mean, just you, didn't you don't get a lot to do. Run you don't spend a first round pick on a guy that projects as a bottom six forward. Like that's, 
yeah, you're you're looking for you're looking for more. Yeah, and it's 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 something that you see all the time with with Hockey Canada and international events where guys get bumped down in the lineup. You know, Jamie Ben when he played for Canada at the World Juniors that one year, you know, he was in the bottom six on that team. You know, he he there were just so many good players on that team. Jonathan Taze has played for Canada a bunch of times and some of them he played lower in the lineup, right? Like that's just something that happens when you've got a lot of talent competing for, you know, limit the number of roster spots. So it's, it is, it's hard for me to really project what to expect with Johnston. Um, I like the tools. He's got a good frame that he's still actually growing into a little bit. He went through a growth spurt not that long ago. He's a good skater. He's hard on the puck. He's got some good hands. He can make plays. He can shoot. Like there's a lot of raw tools to his game. And it's not like Dallas went and drafted some guy completely out of the blue that no one's ever heard of. I mean, he was a sixth overall pick by Windsor in the OHL um, priority draft. So this is a guy that's been you know, it's been known and high, highly regarded, you know, even before he stepped foot in the OHL. So yeah, it's but it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's it's there's just so much uncertainty with this year, and especially with these guys that didn't play. You know, for some guys that did play, I I feel a little bit more comfortable projecting them. But uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to see like what happens coming out of this draft because it's so unlike previous years. You know, a lot of the times you see a guy for twenty or thirty games in a fifty or sixty game season, you feel pretty good knowing what to expect. But with this draft and where all the picks happened and where all the guys went, it's it's going to be an interesting learning experience over the next few years just to see you know how these players developed and which teams got it right. So then looking at Dallas's draft, and we can dive on any of the, the players that you'd like, but looking at Dallas's draft, in your opinion, what do you think the Stars walked away with? You know, I, I really like what they did this year. Like, genuinely, I really, really like what they did for, for different reasons. Um, and it was, it was funny, they almost went back and forth um, in, in how they made their picks, going from guys that were, like, pretty industry consensus um in the right spot or getting them later than they should have gone and then taking some really big swings in different places like to use baseball terminology and there are a few times where they got an easy line drive to get a guy on first base like easy like no question there like it's they they made the right play and they went for the right thing and then there are a few other picks where they really swung for the fences so it's going to be interesting to see um, just how these play out. But I like the fact that they went for different things. So, for example, in the second round, they grabbed Logan Stankoven, who I mentioned earlier, who in, in the scouting industry, you know, a lot of people thought Dallas got great value um, getting him at 47th, including myself. You know, our, our team over at Future Considerations, including feedback for me, we had him in our first round. We had him 19th overall. Uh, McKean's was really high on him. They had him at 13th overall. Uh, the list that Bob McKenzie puts together, that that had uh, Stan Coven at 27th overall. So, you know, this this is a guy who's scored a ton of goals over the last few years, put up a ton of points. You know, he had 29 goals as a 16-year-old in the WHL, which is incredible. Uh, this season, in the six games that he played for Kamloops in the WHL, he had seven goals, so averaging a goal per game. So when, when that pick came in for Dallas, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was honestly the best player available for them i thought they made a great pick i was surprised that he went um that late that he wasn't picked sooner and so were a lot of other people that i talked to it was definitely one of the guys who 
he, he was one of the guys who slid further than people thought. So I love that pick for them. And then, funnily enough, the very next pick, because they had back-to-back picks, at 48th overall, they picked Artyom Grishnikov, uh, who I mentioned before didn't play this season, with the exception or of... Or did he? Or did he? So so it was interesting to see the contrast, especially back-to-back with, with what they did. Now, it's not like Grishnikov was a pick that was totally out of the blue. Um, he'd been kind of projected to be in this sort of range based off of his prior body of work. You know, he played internationally for Russia, actually underage uh, a little bit, you know, playing as like a 16-year-old in a tournament full of 17-year-olds, that kind of thing. And he looked pretty good in um, the MHL, Russia's top junior league, in a 16-year-old season. You know, we, we our team, at least uh, at FC Hockey, and I'm sure others as well, went back and watched games of him that he played to get a good feel for what he could bring, uh, you know, who he was as a player, what his tools were. So, it, But it was interesting to see that, the, the two different styles of picks there where, you know, Stan Coven played this year, he played at the U18 tournament, he was great in both times. And then they go for someone that, you know, was it a right pick? Was it a swing? You know, we don't really know for sure because the, we don't have the best of book on this guy. But I, I like that they're going for different things in that regard because I mean, if you're going to have success at the draft, you almost want to de- dip your toes into a few different pools. Like you don't want to put all of your focus into one region or drafting one type of player. Cause you know, if you have a blind spot there, if there's something that you're missing, you know, you might be missing it on all of those players. So I did like that. They, they um, had some variety, you know, even looking into the third round here, same sort of story at 73rd overall, they grabbed Ayrton Martino, who was another pick that the scouting community loved for the stars. Um, this guy had a huge season in the USHL, uh, in his rookie season um, in, in that league after coming over from um, the OJHL. You know, new league, new team, and right away he was phenomenal. He finished the season with 56 points in 38 games. He was the best player on their team by far. He, you know, he did everything for the team. He killed penalties for them. And he's a guy that was ranked really highly. Uh, he ranked mostly as like a second-rounder. I know some scouts really viewed him as a, as a first-round talent. He's not a big guy, but he's a great skater, really, really quick, thinks the game well, really soft pair of hands and great puck control. So when Dallas got him at 73rd, you know, that was widely considered a great pick because you know, there was a body of work for this guy. Like I said, he played this season. Guys actually got to watch him. Um, and he, he played... Um, in places that scouts had gotten a lot of looks at before as well. He played at the World Junior A Challenge the year before for the Canada East team. So, you know, we've got to see what he could do uh, internationally against uh, really good competition. So that was a pick that I loved just because it was one of those guys that was arguably the best player on the board, someone who had slid, and Dallas was smart enough to grab him. And then, you know, do you think in your estimation? Um, yeah, it's hard to say. It's that's one thing that I wasn't fully sure on with Martino. Um, you could make some, you could have some questions about like physicality and his body type. Like he's a pretty scrawny kid. He's not very strong at all. He's going to need to add a lot of muscle to handle, uh, the physical rigors of professional hockey. And with some of these kids, you, know, you can see where they can add that muscle to their frame. And some that's a little bit more questionable, questionable. And, you know, you look at someone like, um, Adam Maskerin, who's in the Dallas system, you know, he's only about 5'10", but he's a really stocky 5'10". Like, he's strong on his feet. Uh, Martino is, is a little bit slighter. 
So you wonder if his body is going to be able to hold up to the rigors of professional hockey. So that might have been a question, but he also skates really well. Like he evades pressure because of his feet. So I'm not as concerned about it. He's also an older birthday. You know, he's, he was born in 2002. He only missed last year's draft by uh, 13 days. So he was a little bit older for this class. You know, maybe you should be comparing him to guys who got drafted last year as, as the benchmark, as opposed to players that were just in their second year at, at a high level. Because this, this is his third year playing at a, a competitive level of hockey. So, you know, there were a couple things, but overall, like, I don't think he should have slid that far. There were a lot of players that I watched really closely this season that were picked ahead of Martino, and I personally don't understand it. I certainly would not have picked those players ahead of him. But, I mean, hey, we'll, we'll see where things go with this. Um, but coming back to what I was talking about with that contrast, you know, a few picks later, at 79th overall, Dallas went back the other way, and they picked a guy named Justin Ertl, who that, that was a pick that really surprised me and I think a lot of other people. Uh, for, for reference here, we had him at future considerations at 272nd on our list, which, which sounds really bad. <laughs> but I'll, I'll mention that we actually we only had one report on this guy all season because he was playing in a league that is kind of remote. He was playing on an, um, a team in Prince Edward Island. Uh, for those who don't know their Canadian geography, that is a very small island on the east coast of the country. And it's not exactly known as being a hockey hotbed. So this is a guy that not a lot of people seen. And honestly, I think it's fair to say that our team at Future Considerations under-scouted this guy, and probably a lot of other places did as well, because after the pick was made, I had some messages come in like, hey, from people that actually seen this guy, and like, this this wasn't a reach, like this is a guy with a lot of talent. And I actually went back and watched some of his games um, after the draft, and I'm like, oh my god, like we missed this guy. This guy's really talented. He's big at about six foot two. He's a really good skater. He's got incredible hands for a guy his size. He can make plays really, really well off his backhand. Uh, there's, there's just so much raw potential to his game. He's, he's a physical specimen and he's, you can tell that he's still just growing into his frame a little bit and kind of learning how to master his tools. When I talk about home run picks earlier, this is one of those. He's a guy that, you know, he might be a little bit raw right now. And, you know, he's playing in a bad league. And maybe the competition he was playing with and against wasn't great. But when you really stop to pay closer attention to him, you see what's on display there. And this really has the potential to be one of those picks that, you know, in two or three or four or five years down the road could look phenomenal. Because he's going to be going to the NCAA. He's going to get a lot of time to, you know apply his trade there. He's not going to have to worry about coming to a pro league before he's ready. Like the stars can be patient with his development. And, you know, I think there's a lot to like about what he brings. So yeah, it was another example of, of the contrast and the differences in their approaches where they took a guy like Martino who put up a ton of points and, you know, was under the eyes of scouts all season and people got a good look for good look at him and a good feel for him. And then went with a different approach where they swung for the fences a little bit with this guy who was playing in a bad league that might have been a little bit underscouted, but also has the potential to be a home run pick for them if everything goes right. That's fantastic. So all, all told, 
it seems like you're pretty high on this year's this year's stars draft. Now, how quickly that's that's always the the question. And I do before we close, we'll talk a little bit about a couple of, of players in previous drafts. But how quickly do you envision this year's crop making any kind of impact? Um, like in in Dallas or or with the Texas Stars? I'll take the Texas Stars as well. But maybe maybe how about why why not both as as the kids say? Um, well, we'll I would. We'll, talk this way who has who do you think has the clearest path to the nhl roster at this point Ooh, good question um probably johnston um but i I would caution that he's going to be a little bit further out and it does come back to this this year and you know players losing time to development you're going to have to be patient with a lot of these guys just because they have not played nearly as much you know you look at someone like title andrea who was drafted 13th overall in 2018. He played a lot in his draft year. He played a lot in the year after. He played a lot in the year after that. And, you know, he was playing internationally with Hockey Canada. You know, he was getting looks in the AHL, or the AHL sorry, at uh, the end of seasons. Uh, this is a guy who has had more time to develop and play. And I think that all of that played a, a big part in him being ready to suit up for 26 games uh, in 2021 for Dallas. But, you know, Johnston didn't have that luxury. You know, he's maybe a little bit further behind in his development curve. That's not to say that his ceiling can't be high, because I think it can be. But, you know, he's, he's starting further back. And he's going to need more time to kind of get to where he needs to be. And I think that's true for a lot of these guys. Um, with someone like Stan Coven, these smaller guys usually need a little bit more time to add muscle and quickness to handle. Um, you know, the challenges of pro hockey. Grishnikov, he's got a very pro body and he plays a, a, a really pro style for a defenseman. I think he's a really good example of what you can be as a modern day defensive defenseman who can play hard and physical, but also skates really well and can be responsible with the puck. Um, so I think all these guys are going to need a little bit more time. I mean, Martino is a year older as a 2002 birthday, but he's going to need a lot of time in the weight room to kind of bulk up so that he's not getting pushed around and, and honestly injured um, by the physical game of hockey. So it's it, it, all these guys are, are going to take a little bit more time. We're not going to see someone like Haskinen who looks ready, you know, right after and then jumps into Dallas a year after that where he's phenomenal. Um, it's going to be a while before we start to see, um, the fruit of these seeds, you know, uh, but it's, I, I still really do like this class. It's just going to have to be one that, you know, stars fans will need to be patient about. And you know, there doesn't seem to be a huge rush either. It seems like the stars are committed to winning right now. You know, they added some veterans this season, which, you know, has made life harder for the prospects who are already in the AHL you know, trying to crack the big club. So there's no rush for any of the prospects that were drafted. And that maybe is the, a, a good thing. It gives them lots of time to develop and, you know, show, show what they can really do. And then I want to touch on, I love that, that, the the pipeline and this is very it's it's interesting thinking about hockey prospects and be, them being much more analogous to to baseball where there's you know a couple of years of seasoning typically before they make an impact versus a you know an NFL or an NBA prospect where they really kind of are expected to be be there all the way day one but you know looking looking back now I want to go back a year because there's another name that's been floating around what is your take just again on, in terms of a path to professional like where is where is Maverick Bork right now in his development? Uh, you know, I, I thought he made good progress this past year with uh, Shawinigan. 
and then had a really nice uh, six-game cup of coffee with the Texas Stars uh, after Shawinigan was knocked out of the Q&J AHL playoffs. So I, I think he's I think he's right where he needs to be. Honestly, he'll go back to the QMJHL for one more season at least. You know, he'll probably be on Canada's roster for the World Junior Tournament because he's a guy who you, know, you can play center, he can play in some different places in your lineup, he can kill penalties if he has to. He's a smart player, he's consistent, he works hard. So I think he'll be. I, I think it's going to be a good spot for him. Um, I don't know if he'll be ready for the NHL. Uh, the season after either just with how he plays the game he's he needs to get a little bit quicker for what he is you know he's a guy that can bounce off checks at the QMJHL level and hang on to the puck but he's not very big and you know that could be some some challenges for him at the higher levels but the nice thing is there's not really a huge rush I mean he's only a 30th overall draft pick it's not like he was someone who's picked in the top five and the expectations were for him to jump into the NHL as a teenager and, and make an impact. So, yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's a really solid prospect. I think he's got really high upside. I was pleasantly surprised um, by what he did in that short call up to Texas last year. So I, I think he's going to be a good player for the stars, but he's still probably a little bit way, of a ways away, you know, maybe, you know, maybe at the end of this upcoming season, he gets a chance uh, with Texas if if Schwinnigan doesn't go far in in the QMJHL playoffs. Maybe he joins the Stars as like a black ace for uh, their playoff run, which you know hopefully will happen. So it's 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 hard to say, but yeah, he's he's a good player. There's no rush to to rush him, but I think he's gonna. I think he's he's right where he needs to be, and he's making now, good progress. Is there anybody else from 2020 that's sort of on your radar? Um, I mean, yeah, there there are guys from that draft that I like, but it's a little bit harder because there was definitely uh, not a year where the stars had a lot of yeah, a lot of picks. I mean, you know, they thirty went, and then one twenty three, I believe. Yeah, they picked they picked in the first round, of course, Maverick Bork at thirty, and then it was another three full rounds that they didn't pick again until the fourth round, one twenty three, which was Antonio Strangis. Yeah, so I, I like Strangis as a prospect. He's a guy that I had in my top uh, one hundred and one uh, personal rankings. For that draft, I thought Dallas got good value by getting him at 123. I'm disappointed that I didn't get to see a full season out of him this year because there was no AHL hockey, or sorry, OHL hockey. But you know, he's he's a player with talent, and I, I think that he's I think that he's a good bet. You know, anytime you're looking at fourth rounders and fifth rounders and sixth rounders, especially a year or two out, it's just way too hard to say that a guy is going to be great or a guy is you know already a bust. You know, even someone like Jamie Benn, it took him a couple years to really kind of show that, you know, even though he was a fifth rounder, he is a, a top prospect. But yeah, I like Stranges. Uh, Daniel Lungman uh, out of Sweden, he had a good season this year. He got, he spent most of the year in uh, the pro leagues. Um, Evgeny Oksintiuk is actually another player that I had in my top 100, uh, you know, a former teammate of Ty Delandria. He's, uh, he's another small guy at about five foot eight or so, but, you know, he plays a lot bigger than he is. He's got a great energy for the game I, I love his puck skill i love how he sees the ice um he's another one of those guys that you know i don't know if he'll be an nhl player it's it's way too early to say but i like what he does and i think that there's a very real chance to that and i don't think that anything that happened since that draft has has changed my opinion 
Interesting. And, and then and then we'll we'll bring it home with uh speaking of of very real NHL players, Sada had had a typically excellent article uh, up on the up on the old uh, athletic and there was a very interesting comment talking about the future of Thomas Harley and you know, the mm-hmm. Dallas Stars, so far Texas Stars defenseman. And and the, the money part of the quote is from from Scott and White, who's the AGM who's who's heading things up down in um down in Cedar Park and talking about where Harley plays next season. It's completely up to how Thomas Harley performs in camp. That hasn't changed our approach at all. If he's ready to be there, he'll be there. It's going to be up to Thomas. What we don't want is for him to be up in the press box watching games. And that was Mm -hmm. the interesting bit to me. And it seems like, you know, yes, Dallas is top four, right is is pretty set there's there's money and there's term there's guys you know Klingberg Lindell Heiskanen and and Ryan Suter right you're you're not cracking that um no but but there's a spot on the third pairing even with the signing of Hockenpah so it seems like and we've talked about this in previous podcasts about how you know how much we believe the stars when they say that there's opportunity for for younger players to to work their way into the lineup. But what is what is your take on how real a prospect is? You know how how much uh, ask this a different different way. What is the over under on NHL games we see from Thomas Harley this season? <laughs> uh, it's it's hard to say. I mean, well, I fully expect to see some games this season from Harley. Um, but it's too early to say if that's going to be enough for a full season or a partial season. And to come back to something you were saying, like, Oh, do you believe the stars? You know, is there really a chance for these guys? And there seems to be this like attitude that, Oh, you know, the stars don't trust their younger players. They're not going to make space for them, but we have seen that recently. I mean, you look at Rope hints, you know, he forced his way on to the Dallas roster uh, a couple seasons ago, you know, he was in the AJ or the AHL. I keep saying the AJHL. He was in the <laughs> AHL, and he was, you know, he was playing really well. He was one of the best players down there, and uh, you know, he got a call up to Dallas. I think it was because of injuries, and he was phenomenal. He forced his way onto that roster. You know, the, the team couldn't afford to send him back down. And then you look at Jason Robertson this past season. Same sort of idea. You know, he had some NHL games the season before. Didn't really force his way, but that's okay. That wasn't a problem. You know, he's still a young guy. He's still developing. Um, He had some more time in the AHL, was great, got a chance to play in Dallas, and just forced the Stars' hand. He earned their spot. They made room for him because his play was there. And as another example, you look at some of this here, like uh, Ty Delandria, it was kind of the opposite. You know, Delandria was there. They gave him a shot, and he was fine. Like, he didn't look completely out of place. But he also didn't do enough to force his way into the lineup full time. I don't think that the stars, you know, wanted him sitting in the press box because they sent him back down to the AHL where he finished out his season. And that's okay too. So I, I really do genuinely think the stars will make room for young players if they earn it, because we saw Hints earn it. We saw Robertson earn it. Will Harley earn it? I mean, I don't know. I hope I was so. Say, that, that's where and, I'm going next. What's your Put the, put the uh, you know, gaze into the crystal ball and, and tell me what kind of NHL player this kid's going to be. I mean, long-term, Harley is going to be awesome. Uh, I, I'm a huge believer of Har- in Harley. Even before Dallas drafted him, he was a guy that I liked, I think, more than most people did. You know, there's just so much to like about him. It's so rare to find defensemen his size who can skate as well as he can and move the puck as well as he can. Like, it, it's funny seeing a guy who's six foot three and 
be more of an offensive defenseman than a defensive defenseman, but that really is the case with Harley. His best zone is the offensive zone. And he's, you know, he's pretty good in transition as well, but he does his best work from the offensive blue line in, which you don't always see for a guy that size. And, you know, I think he's going to be a really good player once he's had a little bit more time to develop and refine his game. I liked what he did this year in the AJH or the AHL. Uh, they did it again. <laughs> I liked what he did this year. I thought he had a really good season with Texas. I thought he emerged as their best defenseman uh, almost immediately. But at the same time, you know, there were still some things about his game that I would have liked to see a little bit better. You know, he's a little bit soft at times in the defensive zone. You know, he's a guy that he could engage a little bit more. He could show a little bit more intensity and focus in his defending. You know, he can be a guy that's easy to win pucks from pucks from at times. So, and that was something that we saw in the OHL as well, you know, that he's improved on it, but I don't know if he's improved necessarily enough for him to be ready this NHL season. And it's, it's going to be tough for him because, you know, there's only six spots on a, on any given night for defensemen, sometimes seven, but Dallas usually likes to run six defensemen. So it's going to be hard for a guy like Harley to go in and play the type of game that the stars need to play. They've shown over the last couple of years that they really emphasize tight defending. They don't like turnovers. You know, they don't like mistakes. They like to play a very safe, um, you know, stout defensive game. And right now that's not Harley. You know, he's still a guy who makes mistakes and needs some time to figure things out. And that's fine. You know, he's only, I think he's still 19. I think he turns 20 this month sometime. He's still a young guy. You know, he's, he's by far and away, not even close to done developing. Um, his upside is still huge. His ceiling is still really high. And I'm fully convinced that he's going to be like a, a very talented, possibly all-star defenseman in the NHL level. It's just going to take him a little bit of time to get there. And, you know, <laughs> it's hard. I feel like star says might be a little spoiled by what Miro Haskinen did, you know, coming in as a 19-year-old and just blowing the socks off of everyone. But he's a different player. You know, Haskinen is, is Haskinen. It's not fair to compare Harley to Haskinen. You know, Harley is still well above average for a defenseman his age, but even above average for a defenseman his age, you rarely see these guys playing in the NHL regularly at 20 years old. It just doesn't happen very often. You know, if you're exceptional like Haskinen is, yep, absolutely. You make the space for them and, you know, let them run away with it. But it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And if Harley ends up spending this season in the AJ or the AHL, you know, I don't think that's a problem because it's not going to be a knock on what he's going to be once his development is complete. I mean, as long as he doesn't spend the season in the AJHL, because that's not, <laughs> it's not so much a thing that exists. And if he's playing there, there's probably something way wrong. That's that's a downgrade. It would be a very big downgrade. <laughs> It's going to be interesting, and I think there's a lot of – thank you for walking us through all the picks and and your perspective because it it does feel like there's a lot of enthusiasm and there's a lot of excitement around the Stars drafts uh, over the the last couple of years, and and we are starting to see, like, you know, players – it seems like we've reached a spot where they've been able to fill holes up and down the lineup with guys they've guys they've drafted and then kind of sprinkle on top free agents to to, you know – 
increase the kind of further increase versus having to constantly use free agents as a crutch to overcome bad drafts. So it's, it's been a really interesting last couple of seasons and it, it's, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to stay in this phase of, you know, it, it's, uh, it's nice to see the kids from Cedar park kind of graduate and make an impact up in Dallas. And, and I think we're there for a little while. So thank you very much for uh, running through before we, before we close out any, you know, we've talked about pretty much uh, we've talked about a lot of the pool today. Is there anybody that we haven't, uh, that you haven't talked about during this session that you want to call attention to or or any picks or any prospects, anything that, that Stars fans in particular should have their eye on as we approach the uh, the start of the season? Uh, I'd like to touch on Riley Damiani a little bit because I know some Stars fans are upset that it seems like he doesn't really have much of a pathway to make the team this year. And, and I think that's, I mean, that's a fair criticism, right? Like Dallas went out and added some veteran forwards. You know, they, they really did kind of block the pathway for him. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, it was, I don't get me wrong, I really like Damiani. He had a great couple final years in the OHL. He was great for Texas this past year. You know, one of the best rookies in the league. You know, point per game as a 20-year-old rookie, which is really impressive. You don't see that very often. And I understand why a lot of Stars fans want to see a guy like that in the NHL right away because they think he can make an impact and be better than a lot of the options in the bottom bottom six. But I don't mind him spending the next season in the minors again. It's not going to hurt his long-term development. It's going to give him a chance to refine his game a little bit more. You know, he's going to get more chances to play in defensive say, situations. Get to well, and you get to the age-old question of if, if they call him up right now, he's not playing in the top six. So it's that that classic development. Is it better for him to be in a lower-level environment where he plays a big role in the team? Or is it more valuable for him to be at the NHL level where he may be, you know, playing reduced minutes, not seeing time on the power play, right in the pine in the press box mm-hmm. periodically. Like what's what, and, and it, I think the answer varies for each player. Right. But I think you can always make a case for saying, no, it's, it's probably, especially for a player that, that has flashed offensive ability and, and profiles as an offensive player, potentially long-term there, there's a part of me that said, yeah, I, I would, prefer it, the important thing is and we talked about this with Ottinger right where he lands but it, the important thing it feels to me is that he winds up in a a place where he can play a top six offensive leaning role while he works on the other aspects of his game and that is much more important than necessarily the level at which he plays yeah one of my golden rules for this question of of players jumping from the AHL to the NHL is Something that I ask myself is, is there anything that this player has to gain from playing in the AHL anymore? And to come back to hints as an example, you know, it it just reached a point um, in his final games in the AHL where he was just, he didn't need to be there. You know, he'd had time there. He developed there. You know, he emerged as one of the best players in the Texas Stars. But by the end of it, you know, he wasn't growing there anymore he he needed to be in the nhl environment for the next stage in his growth and his development and i'm happy that he got that chance and then he ran with it and you know he's the player now that stars fans have come to love and one of the more underrated players in the nhl for my money but with damiani you know i still think that there are things that he can learn in the ahl you know he's he did a lot of his damage on the power play last season which is great but you want someone who can also be really, really dangerous at even strength. Um, I feel like they sheltered him a little bit down there. And that's not a bad thing. You know, he's 20 years old. 
you're not going to face them up against these like guys that are 27, 28 and, you know, have, you know, 50 pounds of weight on and muscle on him. You know, he's not going to go into the corners against those guys. And that's fine. Cause he's, he was a rookie and he was, you know, he was, he's still developing physically. So I, I think that he's going to still grow a lot in the age, age, AHL. Uh, this season or next and possibly next season as well, but it's going to be good for his game. He's going to get a lot of minutes. He'll get chances to play in all sorts of situations. He'll probably kill more penalties. He'll probably take more face-offs. He'll probably get more chances to line up against the best players and other teams. And, you know, that's important stuff to learn in a prospect's development. And it's going to help him in those same scenarios at the NHL level. I mean, the reason why Hints is so good now, being able to go up against the best of the best in other teams, because he's already experienced that. You know, he's gotten to go up against the best of the best. He's gotten to play, you know, 18 to 20 minutes a night in a game and, you know, work on his conditioning and know how to manage his energy. Like, these are things that if you don't learn them at lower levels, it's hard to learn them in the NHL. And you see that a lot. You see these guys who come in, you know, they're unrefined, but, you know, maybe a team is struggling and they want an, want an influx of young talent. And some of these guys, they just never quite take off the way you expect them to because they're never exposed to these growing opportunities and development that other guys get. And with Damiani, to come back to him, I think he's in a great spot down in Texas. He's going to get a, a lot of ice time. He showed last season that he can be a dangerous offensive player. The coaches trust him. So I'm excited to see what he can do over this upcoming season and maybe the next two seasons and just see how he can grow because he's going to be a much more complete player whenever he does get up to Dallas. Yeah, and I think it's it's always good with with you know by the time by the time Rope stuck right there was he'd had a couple of stints in both spots and I think what you said is true you could really see it so I'm looking forward to watching um, Demiani develop and seeing what he can do in a higher you know that that first season kind of the, the what's the adage right it's always a surprise right so I'm kind of interested to see how he looks this year when he's more of a known quantity and, and can he reproduce and continue to produce mm-hmm. um, when he maybe now is the number that circled on the chalkboard coming into each yep. game versus a, a more anonymous kind of secondary piece. So it, it's it's going to be interesting. And, and I think the stars can only benefit. And it's, as you pointed out, and, you know, as we saw with Jason Robertson and, and Heinz and, and Gurionov to a certain degree, right? Yes, there are obstacles for a, a young player, especially with aspirations to be in the top six. But looking at the way the the Dallas's contracts are staggered, looking at age elsewhere in the lineup, this is a team. If if we kind of extend our window to the next you know five years or so, this is a team that is absolutely going to have openings and scoring slots in this lineup. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there. You know, this this year is probably not the year that a gifted young scorer forces his way into the conversation. Although he might, right? But to say that that there's a serious kind of long-term impediment i think is is not not in any way accurate if anything right in the, in the next season or two dallas is going to be ravenous for cost controlled assets that can produce mm-hmm. offensively so yep. it's it's one of those like next year no the year after like hey man do, you know keep a bag packed yeah well it's true right the stars are almost going to be forced to have young talent on the roster, right? Because Haskinen's going to, he's got that huge contract. Hopefully the Stars can bring Klingberg back, but he's going to be due a raise. You know, like the, the Stars are going to be a team right up against the cap. 
So if you have a guy who's maybe 22 or 23, you know, still making less than a million dollars per season, and you know he's got the he's got some offensive talent. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't they give him a shot in the top six and see what he can do? I mean, you look at Jason Robertson this upcoming season. I mean, talk about value, right? Like, this is a guy who could score 40 or 50 or 60 points for making, you know, not that much money. That's incredible value for the stars. And, you know, they're not dumb. If, if a player is good enough and they're offering that much kind of value, they'll make room for them on the roster, regardless of who it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank thank you very much uh, for the deep dive, Derek. This was this was absolutely fascinating. Can't wait to have you uh, on the podcast again. And you know, we've got a couple months here before before the puck drops for real. And and in the meantime, we'll try and keep the content flowing to keep Stars fans engaged until there's actual hockey to talk about. Yeah, the doldrums of summer, right? But there's always something to talk about. You just got to get creative. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. And uh, like I said, we'll we'll talk soon, everyone.